Hello and welcome to Movement, the weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, we interview a leader from within our movement and then ask them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. Well, welcome back again. I'm with Ben Carboni again and we're going to hear a message from Ben now. Ben, do you want to share with us just a little bit about why you chose this sermon to share on the podcast? Sure, Matt. Um, the message I've chosen is one from earlier this year. It's called Called to Love. Um, and it, it's based on John 13.35, where Jesus says, This is my commandment to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And uh, I think that it really underpins what we're all about as a church. And um, so often we love to quote the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, go into all the world. But in this passage, he, he gives us a commandment. This, you know, He talks about, this is my commandment to you. Uh, and whether it uh, supersedes the old commandment of love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, so I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but it's the commandment that Jesus gives us and that as we obey his command to love, um, we're we're fulfilling what he's required of us. And so in this message, I hope it'll help us understand a little bit more what that calling is to love, what it looks like uh, in practical ways. And I use a few examples like Zacchaeus and the woman caught in the act of adultery um, to help us understand what this love really looks like. So hope it might encourage us and uh, and also challenge us to how we are loving in our in our everyday lives, not just in our ministry, but in our day-to-day lives with our families, with our friends, in our workplaces or universities or wherever it might be. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's my hope, that it would inspire us to love as Jesus has asked us to love. Well, we look forward to hearing what you have to share with us. For a little while, as Tracy mentioned, we've been talking about agape love and how practising agape love, biblical love, the love that the Bible talks about, when we practise it, we grow stronger. Our deeps, our, our deeps, our roots grow deeper and, and we grow stronger in our faith. And we were on holidays last week and even just for the last little while, I just felt like God hasn't finished talking to us. God hasn't finished establishing what he wants to do in this area of love in this area of agape love. Um, you know, Tracy's testimony is wonderful. You know, it makes us all sound so great and so good at it. But the reality is his love can't be exhausted. There's more that we can learn and understand about his love. There's more that he wants to show us about his love. And there's more that we can apply to our lives about his love. And so today I'm going to continue on this on this theme of agape love. And we're going to dig, dig a little bit deeper and, and, and hopefully I pray that it will reveal something afresh to us that we can become an even stronger community that knows how to apply and live in God's agape love. And that it won't just be contained to this community, it will spread to the community around us as well. Amen? So let's recap uh, what agape love is all about. Um, remember, the definition I gave you was from William Barclay, who says it's called unconquerable benevolence. What does that mean? 
It means that no matter what people do to me, I will show them kindness and unsurpassable value. It means that we recognize in every person they are God's creation, that they are created in God's image. And so every person, no matter what their behavior is, has unsurpassable value and worth. And so we are to treat them like that, that no matter how they treat us, we are to treat them with unsurpassable value and worth. This agape love is what we would describe as God's kind of love. It's who God is. It's what he is all about. This is the love he displays to us, that no matter how we act towards him, he will still love us. Remember, Jesus loved us so much. God demonstrated his love so much to us that even while we were yet sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. And so when we practice this kind of love, we can only do it, and I'll say this very clearly, we can only do it through his enabling. We can only do it by being connected to him. We can't do this in our own strength. This love is a supernatural love. And I read a quote just this week that sums it up perfectly. Agape love describes that quality of love bestowed by God and does not refer to an easy sentimental reaction. Instead, agape love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a yielded believer who is then enabled to do the supernatural, not the natural. Then the believer can love the unlovely and the unlovable. Then the believer can love in spite of insult and injury and love even when love is not returned. This is the kind of love that is at the core of Christianity. This is the kind of love that should be evident in someone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. The Apostle John, also known as the Apostle of Love, refers to this type of love in 1 John 3. And he declares to us the importance of it, where he says, By this we know love, that he, talking about Jesus, laid down his life for us. And then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That includes sisters as well. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him, before God. John says it very clearly that practicing agape love is the proof of our relationship with God. It's clear there that if, you can't, if you're not helping others and loving others as Christ loved us, then how can God's love be in you? That as followers of Christ, the evidence of our, of God being in us and we being followers of Christ is practicing agape love. Now over and over again in the letters to the early church, the leaders of the church, people like John and Paul and Peter and James referred to this agape love and they would refer to it to remind the early Christians to pursue above all things 
love. Tracy mentioned it when Paul talked about in Corinthians that the most important thing is love above all else. What's left at the end? Faith, hope and love. And above all these, the most important of all these is love. In Galatians 5, 13, and 15, 13 to 15, the Apostle Paul reminds the church that love is what we are saved by and what we are saved for. He says there, now I'll give you some background to this because what has happened in the Galatians church is that people had come in and started to teach that you're not just saved by grace through faith. So they're saying that, okay, God's given us this amazing gift of salvation, but to be sure that you are saved, you've got to add things to it. And in this instance, they're saying you need to be circumcised. And so Paul comes to them and says, this is rubbish. There is only one way you can be saved, and it's a free gift from God that you receive through faith. Nothing else saves you. Not any of your works, least any man should boast. Only what Jesus has done for you will save you. And so then in Galatians 5.13 to 15, he sums it up with this statement. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Obviously, Jesus didn't set us free and didn't give us freedom from sin so that we could do whatever we want. That's obvious, isn't that right? But he also didn't set us free from sin so that we could follow a bunch of rules in an attempt to get God's blessing. You have to listen to what I'm saying here. Because that's what the Galatians had done. They had thought, oh, just to make sure I'm saved, then I'm going to get circumcised, just so I can make sure God has saved me and blessed me. But Paul is trying to establish here that faith alone in Jesus, in Jesus' death and resurrection, faith alone in that is enough to make us right with God. Nothing else. But religion, the adding of things and so-called good works programs to get God's blessing, to make sure I'm getting God's blessing is as much indulging the flesh as going out and getting drunk or having lust in your heart. A works program is just as much an indulgence in the flesh. That I'll try and do this, I'll do the right thing just so God will be happy with me. Do you know why it's still an indulgence in the flesh? Because it's selfish. Because what it is saying is, I want God's blessing for me. God bless me so I can know I've got eternal salvation. I've got eternal security. God bless me so I can be right with you. But Jesus says very clearly in this passage, or Paul says it through the inspiration of Jesus, is that, He makes it clear that Jesus died and rose again to give us freedom and he gave us the freedom to do what? To serve one another humbly in love. 
We don't, we don't receive God's salvation so that we can keep it for ourselves and be secure in ourselves. He loved us so that we would love others. That's the reason he saved us. So then that we could follow in his example and love those around us. Paul goes on to explain it a bit deeper in Colossians 3.14 where he declares to us that love should be our highest priority. He says here, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, because we're holy and dearly loved by God, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's agape love in action right there. And then he makes this statement. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he says, tells them to start off. So clothe yourselves in all these things, goodness and kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness. Clothe yourselves in all those things because they're all good things. They're all important. They're, they're what are, are examples of agape love. But then he says, finally, put on love. Notice the shirt today is wearing his suit, obviously in honour of Emily's Mother's Day. Just so. But the picture I got, I'm doing a wedding this afternoon and I'll, I'll be wearing a suit. The picture I got is I put on my pants, put on my shirt, make sure I put on my undies first before I put on my pants. <laughs> and then, then my socks. Too much. Sorry. Sorry, Marge. Sorry. But then I put on my shirt, put on a tie, and I look at myself and I go, oh, that looks pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. Not bad. But there's just one final thing I need to put on. And then when I put on my coat, my suit coat, my jacket, then I go, now that's the full package. Right there. That's what it's all about. Isn't that right? That's, now I look like I'm, I'm ready for action. This is what it's all about. But this is the reality. We can, we can show kindness, we can show compassion, we can show gentleness and humility, and they're all good. But if we don't show it with love, if we don't show it motivated and driven by agape love, a love that says, I'm willing to lay my life down for you no matter what you do to me, that type of love that God carries, when we put that on and we allow that to drive our actions and our behaviours, that kind of love that says, I, I'm going to put others before myself, then we're doing what God called us to do. Then at that point, then our actions will show the world around us who God is. Then the world will go, that's what God is all about. This is what, they behave like this because it's not natural, it's, not, it's supernatural. This type of love has to be more than just nice people. It has to be motivated, motivated by something more. Another church leader, the Apostle Peter, wrote to the early church and he encouraged them to pursue agape love as a way to overcome sin. In 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, he says these words, The end of all things is near. Now, this is pretty appropriate for us today. He was saying this 
back then. But a lot of people talk about end times at the moment. And he's acknowledging things are bad. Things are going on around us. There's all sorts of stuff. But then he says, therefore be alert and sober of sober mind so that you may pray. It doesn't say so that you may get on the internet and look up all the conspiracy theories and whatever else is going on. Does it? doesn't say oh, I'm going to find out. No, it says be alert and of a sober mind. So why? So that you may pray. And then above all of this, above everything else that's going on around you, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Now Paul is, uh, Peter is quoting a scripture that he would have learned as a young boy in Proverbs in the Old Testament where it says, hatred, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And so what Peter is introducing to us is a concept where love, when we love each other deeply, it has the power to overcome the sin problems in our life and in others' lives. He's showing that it's not about exposing people's sins, but rather love, agape love, covers people's sins. Now this idea that Peter is sharing with us is grounded in the, in the image of God in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit, sin has come into the world and God has gone to spend time with them in the garden and at that moment they have ran and hide because they are full of shame and guilt. And God's response is critical in this moment. It gives you a, a glimpse and a picture of the type of God we serve. Because does God get angry at them? Does God go crazy at them? No, he literally sacrifices an animal grabs their skins and makes them clothes to cover their shame and their sin and their guilt. God did not delight in the exposure of their sin, but rather he did all he could to cover their shame and sin. This is the God we serve. There's another story a little bit further on in Genesis that gives us this same sort of picture. And it's, it's, it's the story of Noah where Noah has, the flood's been gone past, so Noah and his family is all that's left. And so we know Noah is a righteous man. He is a good man. He is, God has used him and his family to save the world. And then it says that Noah becomes a farmer and he started growing vineyards and he got the grapes and he made wine. And then Noah drank the wine and guess what? Noah got drunk. Didn't just stop there though. Noah got naked as well. And he was laying on his bed, naked and drunk. And one of his sons walked into the room and saw his father, went back to his brother and said, our dad is naked and, and drunk in, the, in his bed. And, and not, not honouring his father, actually to expose his father. To look at our dad. How disgraceful is that? How terrible is that? And the two other sons, Shem and Japheth, they realise what's happened and they grab a sheep and they, they let grab one side each and they literally walk into the room backwards so they don't gaze upon their father's nakedness and they cover him over. They cover his sin. And in that story, when it's all sorted out, Ham is cursed and ends up becoming the people of Canaan 
And Shem and Japheth are blessed because of their actions. These examples I'm sharing show us that there's no glory or, or honour in, in exposing someone's sin. It's not what we're about. It's not what agape love is about. We need to realise that our God does not delight in sin being exposed. This is, a, this is a really important concept because for many, many years I was scared of God because I was scared God was going to expose the sin in my life. He's going to expose me in front of everyone and tell everyone what I was doing behind closed doors or whatever. And so that kept me away from God. But understanding that God is not interested in exposing your sins. He's not sitting in heaven enjoying the fact that there are pastors falling and leaving pulpits and, and falling into sin all over the, the world. It, that does not bring glory and honor to God and his kingdom. If you want to understand what this means, you might be going, I'm not sure about this, Ben. The best way I can explain it is to look at Jesus. If you look at Jesus, Jesus came to earth as a man with the purpose of showing us what God looks like, of what God is like. And so when we look at Jesus' behavior when he was here on earth, we understand God's nature and character. We see, we get a glimpse, we get an understanding. We get, it's like a... We get the image of God before us in real flesh. So it's really interesting that if we look at what Jesus did when sin was exposed before him, how he reacted is critical to understanding how God reacts. I'll give you a couple of examples, all right? The obvious one is the woman caught in the act of adultery. So they're wanting to catch him out, and so they find this woman who's caught in adultery, and they throw her before him. She's being, so she's in the act of it, so she's probably naked. And, and they say the law says that we've caught her, she needs to be stoned. Jesus' response is really critical. His response, what is his response that you, you see in that story? He, he bends over and looks down to the ground. Have you ever noticed that? You think, why did he do that? And he starts writing in the ground. I believe, this is my take on it, that he did that so that he wouldn't gaze upon her sin and her nakedness. So he removed himself and gazed towards the ground. And then he rose up and it literally says he looked at the crowd. didn't say he looked at her. He looked at the crowd. And he said, you without sin cast the first stone. Tell me this, who in the crowd was without sin? There was someone there. Jesus. Jesus was without sin. And he chose not to gaze upon her. He chose not to expose her sin. He bent, it says he bent down again and kept riding in the ground. And people started to leave. Jesus could have judged her. He could have exposed her. But he chose to cover her sin. And then he said to her, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Another story, when he met a man called Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. They were hated. And even before Zacchaeus could say anything to him, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. He said, I'm going to eat with you tonight, which is a big, big no-no. Because you didn't mix with sinners. 
And the people around said, doesn't he know what sort of man this is? They were happy to expose his sin. But Jesus chose not to expose his sin, but he chose to go and eat with him. Ashok shared a story a couple of weeks ago where the woman with the alabaster box who came and and anointed Jesus' feet with oil and his head with oil. And in that situation again, people said, don't doesn't Jesus know what sort of woman this is? If he knew what sort of woman this is, he, he wouldn't let her do this to him. But it seems like Jesus overlooks her sin and allows her to do what she needs to do. To anoint, as he said, his body for burial. Now in all these cases, it seems like Jesus is overlooking their sin. He's like almost like, not thinking it's important, but I don't believe that's what Jesus was doing in any of these cases. What I believe Jesus was doing is he was overcoming sin with love. He loved the woman by not gazing upon her. He loved the woman by stooping down and and avoiding eye contact with her. He loved Zacchaeus by saying, I don't... It's not about your sin, it's but I will love you no matter who you are or what you've done. No matter how much money you've stolen from it, I'm going to show you God's love. And to that woman who anointed him, he said, like, I'm not going to use your past to determine how I treat you. But I see your action and I realise your repentance. And so I'll love you. I will use love to overcome sin. That's what it talks about when love covers a multitude of sins. Let me say this. Now, understand there are consequences for sin. I'm not saying there isn't. There will be consequences. Adam and Eve still had to suffer. We still suffer the consequences of sin. They're there. And if you do the wrong thing, you will probably end up suffering some consequence for your sin. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that God's heart is, is not to expose but to restore. As Matt shared so powerfully last week, and Galatians 6, 1 and 2 sums it up perfectly how we are to respond to sin as a church. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, or in, in, other, in other translations it says in any sin, it says, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What is God's love? What is agape love? It's gentle. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too may be tempted. And then it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The aim of the church is to show God's love. Love covers a multitude of sin. We use sin, we use love to overcome sin. This is what God has called us to. God's example and instruction to help us counter sin in our lives and in the lives of others is to practice agape love. That's the way we overcome sin. When we love others like God loves us, it has the power not only to help cover another person's sin, but it also has the power to cover our own sin. Let me explain it like this. If I make it my absolute priority to love others the way Jesus loves me, then maybe, 
just maybe, think about it, I won't have the time to indulge my own sins of choice, whatever they might be. Selfishness, greed, lust, whatever it might be. Jesus' example gives us a clear picture that the greatest way to overcome sin is to love others over yourself. Remember, Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. But in that absolute act of love, he covered our sin with his blood and set us free from the power of sin in our lives. He broke the power of sin in our lives. He broke it for the purpose so that we could love one another and help bring freedom to each other through our love for one another. You see, the answer to our sin problem in our lives is not working out 101 strategies to not sin. The answer to our sin problem is simply to choose to love God and love those around us as God loves us. Agape love. This is the way we find freedom. It's what Paul talks about. It's what all these passages are talking about. In this, in this passage here, it says, Bear one another's burdens so you fulfill the law of Christ. Let me explain to you what the law of Christ is. Anyone want to know what that is? John 15. Jesus says it very clearly. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love or remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then he says, this is my commandment or this is my law that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What, do you want to know what the law of Christ is? Love one another. Jesus says if we obey his commands, we will abide in his love. And then he makes it really simple for us. He tells us what his commands are. Is it, do you see... 15 different laws and rules and things. The first and most important thing that we are to do is to love one another as Jesus loves us. If we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. See, in this statement, Jesus makes it very clear that the main objective of our faith is to love one another. He wants us to abide in his love or in other words, he wants us to have relationship with him. But to abide in his love, we need to obey his commandment and to love one another as he has loved us. So I want to explain this hopefully a bit sim more simply. But if you want to know God, if you want to be grow deeper and stronger in your faith in God, well, the first thing you need to do is believe in him, obviously. Believe that he is Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, and that he came and died on a cross for us. That's the first step. But from that place, you need to also not just believe who he is, but then you, your faith needs to be put into action by obeying his commands. 
And what is his command? To love one another the way he loved us. Now, let me show you. I've worked really hard on this, so I've drawn a cycle. This is how it works. This concept of loving God and obeying his commands and loving one another, it's like a cycle. So when we abide in God's love, we're saved, we, we accept God's love in our life. It's fantastic. But he says here to live in his love, we need to obey his command. So when we obey his command, what is his command? To love one another. The exciting thing is when we love one another, when we lay our lives down for one another as Jesus loved us, then what happens? It says we abide in God. We're living in God. We're living in relationship with God. So guess what? The way we treat each other, the way we love one another, is how we have relationship with God. It's not rocket science. So that's why John could say, if you don't love your brother, then how can God's love live in you? It can't. But when we say, I I love God, I believe in God, I follow God, then you need to follow his command. You obey God. When you obey God, you love one another as Jesus has loved us. And when you do that, you experience God for yourself. God becomes alive in your life. You experience who he is and, and what he's all about. We discover who God is and what he's all about when we practice agape love with each other. I'm going to finish with this last scripture. It's a scripture I read before in 1 John 3, but if you continue to read it, and I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, as you continue to read it, this is exactly what John tells us to do. (coughs) We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees his brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love live in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. In other words, we belong to God. So we will be confident when we stand before God. So if you want to be confident of your salvation and your eternal security, don't just try to do good works. You do it by loving others as Jesus has loved you. That's as simple as it is. But you can only do that with his strength and his help. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him, from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who, love, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us.
the church, the greatest thing we can do for God, for ourselves, is to love one another like Jesus loved us. Nothing else. We don't have to add to that. We don't have to add more. This is it. The greatest thing we can do for God and for ourselves and for each other is to love one another as Jesus loved us. As this passage says, to lay our lives down for one another. To grow in our love for one another that we would be willing to do that. To sacrifice our time and energy for each other. This is what God wants from us. If you say to me, Ben, what does Jesus want me to do for him? Does he want me to be a pastor? Does he want me to be a, a teacher? Does he want me to be an engineer? Does he want me to, to make lots of money for the kingdom so I can help pay for the church to do good things? What I'm just going to say to you, what does Jesus want from you? To love one another. That's what he wants. The rest will work itself out. He'll take you where you need to go. But our responsibility is to follow his command. Love one another as he loved us. What am I going to do for God? What ministry should I be in the church? The ministry of loving one another. Whatever you're doing, whether you're singing, whether you're in the kitchen, whether you're helping at pop-up, whether you're helping at youth, all you need to do is love one another. This is the law of Christ. This is what he's called us to. But I don't, I don't have much ability. I don't have many skills. I, don't, I, I, I can't do a lot. Well, you can love others the way Jesus loved us. It's not hard to pick up the phone and make a phone call and just talk to someone and encourage them and build them up. It's not hard to, if you drive to pick someone up and take them somewhere if they need help. It's not hard, but it makes it, it's a decision. All of us have something we can give, but we need to make a decision and a choice to obey him and love one another as Christ has loved us. This kind of love is what has and what will transform our world. It's what will transform our community. A love that goes beyond the surface. A love that says, it doesn't matter how you treat me, I will love you. A love that says, I lay my life down for you. I sacrifice my own time to serve you and serve you and serve you because that's what my God has done for me. Not about exposing someone's sin. It's about loving people where they're at. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Thanks for listening to Movement today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We'll be back next week with another special guest.